Welcome to Reading the Bible Together podcast Luke series. I am your host, Angela Smith, and I'm so glad that you're going to join us to go through the Gospel of Luke. It's it's such a beautiful book, and it's been so much fun for us to prepare all these materials for you. For this introductory episode, I have invited the person that helped edit the study guide and added some really great meat to the study guide as well. He is Dr. Peter Kapsner from the Christian Ministries Department at the University of Northwestern, but we can just call him Peter. Oh, Welcome, please. Peter. Yeah, please do. And yeah, I, I, <laughs> Dr. Kapsner seems entirely foreign to me. And by the way, I mean, I know I did help and contribute to some of the process, but the, what I had seen, the product of it, when it first came out, it really is amazing to see how in-depth it gets. And yet it is accessible for people as well. So I think it's going to be a wonderful combination of getting behind the scenes of the biblical text, but also having practical, accessible things that, with which we can engage in this book of Luke, because it, it's such a beautiful gospel. It is. And, you know, it was writing the study guide. There are times when some of the questions maybe get up in your business a little bit. Yeah, they do. But Jesus was like that. He was. I was just reading a little bit about that, that he just simply wasn't scared to do exactly what you just said, which is to call out hypocrisy or get up Mm -hmm. in our business. But at the same time, he did so for the people that were interested in living in his kingdom. It was always with a gentle spirit. Nonetheless, it was the the criticism was sharp at times, but it was because he was for them and and he really wanted to walk in the ways of the kingdom. So I'm glad you asked the questions you do. Thank you. And thanks for helping out with it. For sure. So let's just dive right in. And what we want to do in this episode is give people just kind of a snapshot and, and context of how to get them prepared for going into the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, Luke's an interesting gospel. It's unique among them. I mean, they're all unique in their way. But I don't think it was until much later in life that I realized that the Gospels themselves are not necessarily biographies. I just assumed that they sat down and they wanted to chronicle the events of the life of Jesus, maybe for posterity or for future readers to know the events that happened like a good biography would. I didn't realize that actually what they were doing is they were they're more books of theology, meaning that what the, each writer was doing is they were taking from the life of Jesus or from the teachings of Jesus or from the ministry events of Jesus, and they were picking out certain parts of that to shape a theological story. They had a point in terms of why they wanted to use the stories that they did. And so... And an audience in mind. They absolutely did. And, and and you see that audience oftentimes right at the beginning of the gospel. We clearly see it with Luke, with Theophilus, but you also see it with Matthew. And he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. He starts with the genealogy that takes us back for, to Abraham and then down to the life of Jesus, not just because he wanted the genealogy, but because he was going to tell the Jewish people he really was the promised Messiah. And so he wanted to start with this genealogy to say Jesus did flow from the right lineage. And all of the books function that way. Luke's specific audience was for Gentiles, so he starts with this audience of Theophilus, this Roman official to whom he writes. And then in his genealogy, he goes way back. Well, see, that's part of the stuff. Again, these are these little like nuances of the Bible that I often miss when I'm just reading. And again, the study guide, I think, is going to be so helpful for allowing us to see each little part of Scripture. But yeah, to your point, when Luke finally gets around to the genealogy of Jesus later in his book, he doesn't take that genealogy from Jesus back to Abraham. He takes the genealogy all the way back to Adam and Eve. Why? Because Luke is writing to a Gentile audience who would have not maybe even been familiar with Abraham or the Abrahamic promises or the covenants. It wouldn't have been important or meaningful for them. But Luke nonetheless wants to assure them that they've been part of God's people, God's family, God's plan all together from the beginning. And so his genealogy goes back to Adam and Eve, which then shows that, yeah, no, the Gentiles are part of this whole thing as well. 
Do you know if other religions or other people outside of the Jewish people were familiar with Adam and Eve? Yeah, that's a really good question. I because there's, never thought about that. Yeah, right. right? No, I don't know that I have either. I mean, certainly there is a lot of different origin stories. Like the Babylonian origin story is quite different than the Jewish origin story. But then they do have some places of commonality around a flood. Now, the, the Babylonian story has a very different take on what happened at the flood, but they both chronicle a flood. Now, I don't think that there's any other stories outside of the Judeo-Christian tradition that do trace back to Adam and mm-hmm. Eve in that way, though. I just had no Yeah, no, that's a great question. I never thought yeah, yeah. about that before. And, uh, and, you know, maybe I'll look that up tonight and find yeah. out something very different. But it's a, <laughs> it's a really intriguing question. Well, and I think what's interesting and what I find myself going to this default all the time is that the four gospel writers were four of the 12 that were doing life with Jesus. Right. And Luke was not. It is interesting. And he's not even Jewish. Yeah. I mean, what do you do with that, Angela? Because it's an interesting thing, right? I mean, you you would think the most credible writers were going to be the Jewish followers with Jesus right in the pit of all of what was going on. But this was different for Luke. Yeah. And he, so he's a Gentile. He's a traveling companion of Paul. So he's, and some of the things I read too said that he was probably, it's either in his relationship with Paul or was involved in a temple because he has a lot of familiarity with Jewish writings and has a lot to say, well, so to your point about the writers picking certain stories to make a certain point, mm-hmm. he is making a point over and over again about the Pharisees and the religious teachers. He really is. And and he had to have been familiar with their teachings because he was considered to be a close companion of Paul. So, mm-hmm. so when Saul gets knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, right, and is struck blind, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And I'm now going to give you this new ministry, which is to go and spread the good news to the Gentiles, thus changing the name from Saul to Paul. He was then commissioned to travel to sort of the wild west of the Gentile world that would have been pretty unfamiliar to the Jewish community at that point. Places like Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica and the region of Galatia, all of these places about which we read. But he also had traveling companions along the way. And Luke was one of his closest traveling companions. So he would have been familiar both with the Gentile world in which they were traveling, but he also clearly was familiar with the Jewish teachings and traditions as well. It's really interesting. One of my favorite stories, Angela, around what you're just describing is that in the fourth chapter of Luke, we see Jesus arriving at a synagogue and he sits down to teach after reading this famous messianic passage from the mm-hmm. book of Isaiah about the spirit of the Lord is on, uh, on me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight for the blind, all of what is in that list. But then we see Luke's unique take on that story because Jesus is in a Jewish synagogue and he tells this story to Jewish people that is a messianic story. And then it says all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he begins to explain the story. And he says, let me tell you a little bit about some of our past. And he said, Elisha was ministering in the place of Israel, but he didn't go to Israel to help. He went to the widow of Zarephath, this Gentile woman. And there was plenty of people in the time of uh, of Israel that had leprosy, but uh, Elijah went to Naaman the Syrian and, and to the Gentile. And so Jesus is giving this sermon basically saying, my redemption is not just for the Jewish people. It's for the Gentiles as well. And you can see it all along the way. The synagogue was scandalized. Now, that would have been a sermon to, to, to be in. I mean, they wanted to kill him afterwards. So there was clearly he was, he was up in their business, as you said earlier. But I love that story because it shows Luke's unique emphasis on the idea of the Gentiles were not just the castaways and the cast outs and the left outs. They were the people that were part of this all together from the beginning. And along with that, the the way that Luke talks about women and, uh. and Jesus's relationship and 
being their rabbi and allowing women to be his disciples and his followers was revolutionary. It was revolutionary. I think it's the eighth chapter of Luke that talks about the yes. women that joined him in the ministry, mm-hmm. right? And and I know there's there's stories that about which we read, and and one of them is the the famous Mary and Martha story um, that's captured in the Gospels themselves. But when Mary shows up at the feet of Jesus in the room where she doesn't belong and is now again sitting at his feet, and Jesus says, "You're right to do so." It, sometimes I've heard that sermon preached, Angela, along the lines of, well, Mary was sitting just contemplating and, and was with Jesus, and that was a good thing, while Martha was busy for the kingdom, and she shouldn't have been, she should have just been with Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. But if we had been sitting in that time, what we would have seen is that in sitting at his feet, she was taking on the posture of a student, just in the same way that Paul ultimately sat at the feet of Gamaliel to learn about the kingdom so he could become a teacher and a rabbi himself. When Mary's sitting at Jesus's feet, it's completely scandalous in that time because she's in the wrong part of the house with the religious teachers sitting at his feet saying, I want to be your student. And Jesus says, yep, you're right to do so. And some of these stories, when you see how Jesus is breaking open some of the social conventions of the day, they're fascinating and, and beautiful to watch. Yeah. And something I love too about Luke is the way he, it, it's almost like he's attacking writing this from the perspective of an investigative reporter. Mm. The way that he places, you know, he's adding certain details like in the, the account in Luke 2 that he tells us who are the leaders. It's Caesar Augustus issued a decree while Quirinius, did I say that right? I probably. <laughs> was the governor of Syria. <laughs> and so he keeps giving us these, you know, out of the church and Jewish history markers of this is the time in which it's happening. Yes. Yeah, and I, I would have to imagine a big part of that is there would have been a lot of skepticism, getting back to what you and I have been talking about so far, a lot of skepticism that the Gentiles should be included. I mean, when you think about the history of Israel, there most often the message was, do not mess with the Gentiles, do not integrate with the Gentiles, have nothing to do with the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, there is this gospel invitation where it's now it's going to explode out among the Gentiles. And so somebody like Theophilus, to whom this book is written and addressed, and I think he's both a real character, but also representative of the Gentile community, to assure them, as Luke says, opening the gospel, that they can believe that these things are true. Well, part of that belief is, anchored in these historical events. We really know the Caesars. We really know the rulers. We really like, he he talks about carefully investigating them, as you said. And so it is interesting how he's making a tremendous theological claim about the kingdom going to the Gentiles, but then he documents that claim through the investigative reporter. So he's perhaps, I mean, he's certainly theological, but John is far more theological in his writings that he's fighting Gnosticism of that day. And he's got this big theological thing going back and forth. Luke is just trying to say, no, it really happened. It really happened. It really, you're really part of it. It really happened. It really happened all along the way. And it's really fun to read. It really happened and flinging the doors open. Ugh, right. That it's well, accessible for everyone. And I think, I don't, I don't know that I understood how much of the New Testament letters of Paul were trying to sort out how this whole Jew and Gentile thing was now going to look moving forward until later in life, that so many of the concerns were, okay, um, you've been grafted into a new people. So um, you've been saying all along that this is for the Jewish people, but now the Gentiles are involved and Paul has to sort of reimagine or re-understand what God was up to from the beginning. And it doesn't mean that God changed. It just means that the view of what God was up to was very limited in terms of who was going to be included in the kingdom. And so Luke sets the foundation not just, you can think of the Gospel of Luke, but he's writing Acts along with this. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a two-volume set. And Acts is very much about the idea of you will go to all nations now. And you, you'll you start in Jerusalem, but you're going to go to all corners of the world bearing witness to me. And so much of that is God's redemptive arc 
started with this little seed, right? But mm-hmm. it, that seed was going to go all throughout the world. And this movement is fantastic when you start seeing the Gentiles being able to be part of it too. When you were talking about the the vision that God had, the, this salvation vision and bringing mm-hmm. redemption to the world, makes me think about has as we you know go go along in our life and feel like God has kind of placed a call or a vision on our life, and so we go in that direction. And I, I was just talking to a pastor recently, and he said it it's almost like we get to. He was watching a documentary or a movie about someone who was lost in the abyss or in the abyss or something. Yeah, yeah. And this rock climber got stuck and he ended up having to crawl his way out. And he thought, if I can just get to that rock. And then he had a different view. Mm. And he got to the next rock and he could see clear. And that sometimes even in our lives, we feel like, oh, I've got this vision and it's going to be a straight line, right? <laughs> Not usually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, yeah. Angela. All of life has always made yeah. sense to me from every it's step. It's so easy and like got <laughs> oh, the, you know, you know, the sky's open and yeah. God says go that way. No. Yeah, exactly. But for the Jew, you know, thinking about Paul having to reconcile everything he had learned for his whole life, mm. and he was deeply entrenched in it, and how much of that was him? Mm. How much of that was the the culture? How much of that was not really God's vision, but what they had put on it oh, wow. that they had to you know take apart and figure out? Oh, what 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 did we add to this? Mm. Boy, that's a pretty profound thought on a lot of levels. I think as you're talking, Angela, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about in my role as a teacher from time to time, I it, it, I get troubled a bit by probably what I am teaching that I currently don't understand mm. or teaching that I'm currently missing something on because clearly I am. I mean, we all are. We're all seeing through a glass darkly, right? And mm-hmm. And then I think on top of that, the humility that Paul must have been able to walk in to move from everything that he thought was true about this kingdom mm-hmm. Now, he needed to be knocked off his horse, and and certainly I can think of those times when I've been knocked off my horse and needed to be in terms of just waking up and being disrupted enough to be able to say, wait a second, uh, maybe this whole thing isn't about you and your understanding or whatever it is. This is bigger than you might imagine, Mm -hmm. And, and his humility that then he exhibits as he's among the Gentiles that Luke is describing and talking about both in his gospel and in the book of Acts and then all the letters, there really is that he's, he talks about whatever it was to my gain, I now count as my loss. And so he talked about being a, the, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, born on the right day. It's, you know, Paul, all of these things, he was great in all of the metrics of religious teaching. He threw them all away. He said, I found something different. This, this surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not a lot of people I think are able to, taste that kind of humility, their willingness to change their mind. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not an easy thing to do. Well, and to figure it out in like, it's, that's building the airplane while you're flying. I mean, he's leading the church (laughs) and figuring all that out. I mean, that's what all the letters are, right? Absolutely they are. Oh, and because he he goes to these different communities that again, Luke is going to be describing in the book of Acts later. And Paul is the one going into these communities with these traveling companions. He trusts in the spirit to call out the people from the community that will be part of this new gathering. That was what was called the church. They didn't have a steeple and a sign and a website and a staff, you know, it was just the (laughs) people. I know it's a little shocking. (laughs) I know for all of us. Right. But it was just people that decided to gather together as believers, live a different kind of life together through the power of the spirit. And maybe that would happen in the city of Corinth. And then Paul would travel on, leaving leadership behind, and maybe he's now in Ephesus. And then a messenger, like an Epaphroditus, will come and say, Paul, you can't believe what's going on now back in Corinth. You can't believe—you left him behind. Everything was looking good. But now these are the things that happen. Mm -hmm. And Paul has to be reflecting then on those circumstances 
with what he knows about the kingdom and how to have the kingdom speak into those circumstances as Jews and Gentiles and all sorts of a mix of people are starting to live together in this kingdom. Uh, I just, to, to understand the Pauline letters, it's really helpful to understand the book of Acts and to understand the book of Acts, it's really helpful to read Luke. And like, then the whole Bible starts working together about what's going on there. It's, uh, it's fascinating stuff. I wish, I so wish I had a time machine. And and you could just get in and actually go stand in the church of Corinth or something or or be with Timothy as he's, you know, 11 years old, it seems like. I mean, he's clearly older, but he's this young man trying to pastor in this crazy city of Ephesus and what that all would have been like. It's just funny to think about. And that's what Luke would have been experiencing traveling with Paul. Totally. I, you, would have, he would right? have been witnessing all of this. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, Angela. Like, what would it be like to, to, to just crawl into his mind for a second and see God moving in these ways that, again, wholly unexpected on so many levels? But I think in fairness, if we allow God to be that in our lives into our own unknown futures, and, and instead of trying to plan them all out, we probably would see some things similar. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to think about. It's so good. Is there mm-hmm. is there anything about Luke that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that we touch on. Yeah. I mean, I think we've hit on kind of those key points that at least for, for me and I, I think um, for a lot of people is, is pretty compelling. I think that last part um, we referenced a little bit in the study guide that this isn't God's last redemptive move, right? I mean, it started with the seed and, and, and the Jews were the stewards of the seed and the seed then exploded out among the Gentiles, but we're still not at the fullness of the reconciliation. And so we as Jews and Gentiles together following the Messiah are meant to be the stewards of the coming reconciliation of all things in which there's this other redemptive move. And and the one who was veiled in flesh will return unveiled in glory and and set all things right and and bring all nations and tribes and peoples to himself. And I, I think that is really compelling to me to just think about we're in the middle of this incredible arc uh, that still has not found its full culmination. But we can see the redemptive God about what he's up to as we read Luke and 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 see that he keeps going outward like this. It's that's the story about what I want to be a part of that story. I don't want this to be about my own story. You know, in America, we all have our own stories all the time. Right. But we're actually part of a much bigger story if we have eyes to see. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. And to even just think about him coming back. Not would you say not veiled in flesh, but veiled yeah, unveiled in glory. In glory. Yeah. Oh. I just right. I mean, the sky's going to crack open and the white rider's going to come. And I just, oh my gosh, I, I, those pictures at the end of the book of Revelation about, and you won't even need a light because the lamb himself will be the light and, mm. and the healing of the nations and the wiping, like all of that that's coming. And I think you and I have been around the block enough to know that the world is a tough place. You know, it's filled with sorrow and difficulty. And, and Jesus says, you'll have trouble in this world, but we do have a faithful shepherd that will keep leading the way all the way through. We know how this whole thing ends. Yeah. So good. Mm. So good. It, so as people are reading Luke, is, do you, is there something that you would hope is there a hope that you have for people, something for them to take away from Luke when they yeah. read it? Well, I'd flip it around to you. You wrote some beautiful questions that, and a lot of which do have uh, some some themes in them and stuff. As you were thinking and, and working through Luke, I mean, clearly, I, I I care deeply about the idea that you're part of a bigger story of redemption. But you have, there's so many good questions in there. So if somebody walked away having walked through each of these chapters, are there one or two things as well from your perspective? I, I think it's understanding for people to understand the position when they know Christ and they're following Christ, what that means, mm. what, what's the position that they, they hold. Mm-hmm. And it's a co-heir that they're co-heirs with Christ. And, and, and that as they go through the study guide and reading these chapters, that they will deepen in their relationship, that there will, there will be times of lingering with the Lord and what he's doing and his affection for us, like no holds barred, mm. no matter what. 
that they can see the way, I mean, like it was, we've talked about that the people will come away with realizing that the doors are flung open for them. Yeah. He died on the cross for them. He rose again to save them mm. and wants to have relationship with them. I just got like goosebumps and chills as you were saying that, Angela. <laughs> like, really? Like, you think, why did those heavens break open? And why, why did the word become flesh and dwell among us? It's for exactly what you said. And it was out of love. It was desire to be with as co-heirs uh, together. That's a very unusual God um, mm-hmm. compared to all the other gods that have ever been claimed in, in the history of this world. This is the only God that I know that would humble himself in this way to call us up as his imagers to be with him. That It's absurd at the end of the day when you think about it. And yet it's the kind of thing that gives me chills to think that that kind of God is for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it's that. It's so personal. It is. Mm-hmm. So personal. Thank you, Peter. Oh, this is great. Thank you for doing this. I, it was so fun to be invited into it. It's just, it's so, <laughs> it was, like I said, it was great to see the study guide. I think it's a wonderful resource to walk in during the season to just get our head around the book of Luke a little bit more because there's a really beautiful message that you've brought to life in the way that you've gone about writing it. So I'm excited to be part of it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, and for those of you who are listening, speaking of resources, we do have a study guide. If you go to myfaithradio.com and sign up, you can get that study guide. And then um, some other tools as you're going through the study guide that I suggest you have, make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you get every episode, of course. And we'll have a daily conversation um, going as we go through each chapter. It'll be me and a guest going through and talking about what has kind of bubbled up for us in each chapter. And then I would suggest if you don't have the YouVersion Bible app or blueletterbible.org, those are two great apps that you could download onto your phone to have for reference. There are going to be times that I'm going to ask you to just sit and listen to scriptures being read in the, from, in the study guide. I'm going to be asking you that. And so you can either listen to the podcast or head to the Bible apps and listen to those and just listen to it. Because I think sometimes when we listen, we hear differently than when we read. Um, so those would be great ways to prepare. But otherwise, we are so excited that you're going to take this journey with us through the Gospel of Luke We want you to know that you are welcome here, you belong here, and we're so excited to go through this Gospel of Luke with you. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episode, and we will catch you with Luke chapter 1. The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, Consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at myfaithradio.com.